Jesus has been calling us to integrity and to faithfulness, to truthfulness and to prayerfulness, and now most recently to exercising great wisdom and great discernment in our speech. How are we going to live this way? If we're going to know that help, says Jesus, we've got to ask him. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Today we're continuing a message we began last time speaking wisely. And Jonathan, for those who do struggle maybe to control their tongue, whether it be you know lashing out in anger or profanity or, or whatever way, I hear you saying that maybe one of the first steps is to ask the Lord for his help in some of these struggles. I think the first lesson we need to learn as we engage with the teaching of Jesus and and as we would come to Jesus, one of the first lessons we've got to learn is that we are incapable of being the people that God calls us to be. I, I know that of myself. I'm just not able to do what Jesus says I ought to do. But recognizing that is such a healthy thing because it prepares us to respond to the invitation of Jesus to come to him for forgiveness and for cleansing and then for the help of his spirit to start to live in a in a different kind of a way, to start to live a transformed life. And that's that's the starting place of the Christian life, but it's also the way we continue in the Christian life day by day. We need to come back to the Lord and say, help me because on my own I cannot I cannot do this. I cannot be what you've called me to be. And that spirit of dependency, it marks the Christian. It's it's a healthy place to be in. Well, we're going to continue to look at this in the book of Matthew. We are in chapter 7 as we continue our message called Speaking Wisely. Here is Jonathan. Now, as we reflect on the words of Jesus here and we think through the logic of what he's saying, it all seems perfectly reasonable, perfectly rational. But I think we only really grasp how powerful this instruction is if we pause to imagine what would be the impact on the life of the church if we really took it seriously and really lived it out with consistency. Imagine if each one of us here in this room this morning, when we felt that instinct to criticize and to judge, and we all feel that instinct sometimes, if we paused and first of all examined our own hearts and our own lives to ask if the fault we see in another is actually a fault in our own lives. If we paused to conduct a little heart surgery on ourselves and to deal with that problem, and then perhaps with a new humility and a refreshed grace approach our brother or sister. What a powerful thing that would be. What a transformative thing that would be for the life of the church. Imagine what would be the impact of this church if each one of us resolved with the Lord's help to live like that and to operate like that. So here is a challenge for each one of us to take away this morning. Most of us will no doubt have a person whose sin we are aware of, whose fault perhaps is concerning us just now. Another believer who we think needs to repent of something, needs to grow in a particular area, needs to deal with something in their own life. And the odds are that we may well be right in what we notice and what we identify. Maybe we've had it in mind to say something to this brother or sister for quite a long time to help them remove that speck from their eye. But here's the challenge. Whatever faults you see, perhaps a laziness or a, a selfishness or a tendency to gossip or something else altogether, just consider that fault and say, could that fault, could that sin 
be present in my own life? Could that criticism be directed toward me? And if so, take some time and ask the Lord to deal with you personally, with me personally, before dealing with another. Don't be hypocritical, says Jesus. That's the first element in his call to speak wisely. But now he moves on to a related warning and an equally powerful one, verse 6. Here Jesus warns us not to be undiscerning. Don't be undiscerning in your speech, verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. In 2004, Mary Grahams was doing some weeding in her garden in rural Alberta when she lost her engagement ring. She was unable to recover it despite her best attempts. She eventually gave up and in fact bought a replacement lookalike ring. But recently, her daughter-in-law harvested a carrot from the vegetable patch in that same garden and had a bit of a surprise when she found that this carrot was wearing her mother-in-law's diamond engagement ring. The carrot had quite literally grown up through the ring and kind of bulged around it. It's an incongruous sight a fine diamond ring gracing the torso of a lumpy, muddy carrot. It somehow feels wrong. It somehow shouldn't be. Jesus has been speaking about our words, particularly words of correction, words we would use to call a brother or sister to repentance, words in line with God's own truth from the Scriptures. And now these words are pictured as sacred things, special possessions in the home or, or fine food from the dining table, special or sacred things that have found their way into the wrong place, into the wrong context, the wrong environment. They found their way, says Jesus, into the jaw of a dog. They're pictured as fine pearls thrown into a filthy pig pen. Sacred things in the jaw of a dog, valuable things in a pig's muddy pen, it should never be done. It's grossly incongruous. It is a bad fit. It is a terrible mismatch. It would never be appropriate. And the point that Jesus is making here is that there will be some people who should not or who should no longer receive the good and the sacred words we might long to speak to them. They've actually proved themselves unfit to receive something so valuable, so fine, so sacred as the very Word of God. If the danger in the previous verses 1 to 6 was that we might speak when we ourselves are not ready to speak because of personal hypocrisy, now in verse 6, the danger is that the potential listener is not fit to hear the words that we might speak on behalf of the Lord, words in line with His Scripture. There are two reasons Jesus gives for caution and discernment in speaking God's Word, second half of verse 6. First, he says, the sacred truth may be trampled by someone who just scoffs at its message. It might meet with disdain. And secondly, he says, you may yourself be torn to pieces by an aggressive, hard-hearted listener who hates what you have to say. 
Going back to those previous verses and remembering that idea of the speck in the brother's eye, pointing out the sin of another believer, the implication here in verse 6 must be something like this. There will be folk who call themselves Christians, professing Christians, who need to be challenged or even rebuked because of their behavior or lifestyle. If they listen and respond and repent, that is a wonderful thing. That is a healthy thing. Praise God for it. But if after multiple and gracious attempts, they won't listen, they keep turning away, they keep trampling the truth and attacking the messenger, they show scorn for the truth of God's Word and the standards it sets. If they do that, they demonstrate that their heart is hard, and they demonstrate that they may actually never have been converted to Christ. In spiritual terms, they are actually not fit to keep on receiving, to keep on hearing, to keep on being challenged by the living Word of God. It takes great wisdom. It takes great discernment to know who such a person is and to know when such a time has come. But Jesus says, be discerning enough to know when not to speak. Don't give to dogs what is sacred don't throw your pearls before pigs. In light of verses 1 to 5, there's clearly a natural line of application here for how we address sin in the lives of professing believers. But there's also the broader question of calling unbelievers to repent and believe the gospel. It seems that verse 6 also speaks powerfully to that situation. Jesus' instruction here in verse 6 tells us that we need to be discerning when we speak and proclaim the gospel to the unbeliever. The gospel is, after all, the most sacred message in all the world. It is the most valuable thing in all the universe. It is a pearl of great price. And there's something inappropriate about continually proclaiming and speaking the gospel to a people who have demonstrated over time that they are hostile to it, dogs with clenched jaw, to people who have demonstrated that they see no value in the gospel, that they don't perceive any worth there. I expect most of us here, if we've been believers for any length of time, have encountered the situation where we've tried to share the gospel with someone who simply does not want to hear it. Of course we try. Of course we keep trying. But eventually we reach that stage, don't we, of wondering how long should we persist with this person. We keep praying. We don't give up praying for the Lord to do a miracle. But verse 6 seems to suggest that there is a point in time where maybe we stop pushing. We stop speaking. We stop trying to persuade. And actually, if someone's heart is really hard, and they're really hostile, and they're really scornful, we can end up just pushing them further and further away the more we keep speaking when it's not welcome. Jesus' words here show us that there is a time just to fall silent and to move on to the next person who might listen more openly, more receptively. We can feel guilty doing that. That's a hard thing to do but there's wisdom and there's discernment there. And actually, this is precisely what Jesus is going to tell his early disciples to do in just a few short chapters. When he sends them off on mission in chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel, he'll say this as they head out to proclaim the gospel. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. 
I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. There's a time to stop. There's a time to move on. Speak wisely, says Jesus. We do have to pause right here, but we'll continue our message, Speaking Wisely, in just a moment. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we're in a series taking a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Today, looking at the opening verses of Matthew chapter 7. And if you missed any of the broadcasts in our series, you can always come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org, and you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also listen if you have the Encounter the Truth app. That's free, and you're going to find that at your app store. But whether you listen online, on the radio, or through the app, it is all made possible through your generosity. So thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you not one, but two copies of Jonathan's book, Light of the World. In this book, Jonathan is taking a look at the events of the first Christmas and seeing how they can bring us light and life that we're searching for. We can discover the profound impact of Jesus' story and what difference that makes in our lives today. Again, we'd love to send you not one, but two copies of Jonathan's book, Light of the World, as you give a financial gift of any amount. Find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 1-833-998-7884. That's 1-833-99-TRUTH. And again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Back to the message. Here is Jonathan. Speak wisely, says Jesus. What we've been hearing and considering here in verses 1 to 6, it is challenging stuff. It's going to take wisdom. It's going to take self-control to live this out and to do it consistently. And so it's no accident that Jesus moves on in verse 7 to give us a related instruction. And his instruction is this, seek help. Seek the Lord's help as you try to obey him in these ways. Ask, and it will be given to you, says Jesus. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. We had a discussion at home this week about Christmas lists, thinking ahead, requests for Christmas presents. A couple of the younger members of our household, who shall remain nameless, asked if they could put an iPad on their Christmas list this year. We responded to them that they could by all means put an iPad on their Christmas list this year, but we also indicated that they should brace themselves for disappointment on the 25th of December if they do that. Just because it's on the list doesn't mean it's going under the tree. Some have taken verses 7 and 8 to mean that God will give us whatever we ask for. New Ferrari, no problem, says God. Dream vacation, coming right up. Health and happiness, say no more. But reading it that way, it ignores the context, doesn't it? It ignores the fact that this commitment is part of the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. It is not a standalone statement to be read in isolation. 
Jesus has been calling us to live in a superhuman, supernatural kind of way. He's been calling us, hasn't he, to integrity and to faithfulness, to truthfulness and to prayerfulness, to a radical approach to money, and now most recently to exercising great wisdom and great discernment in our speech. How are we going to live this way? How are we going to speak with this wisdom and with this discernment without hypocrisy? Well, we're going to do it only with the Lord's help. But if we're going to know that help, says Jesus, we've got to ask him. Ask him to help you to do what he has commanded you to do. This isn't an invitation to ask for whatever self-indulgent things we think we might like. No, this is an invitation. It is an instruction. It is a command to ask the Lord to help you to do what He has called you to do. And as we pray, as we pray in line with the Lord's will to uh, do what He has called us to do, there is this amazing promise. It is stunning. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. The Lord is ready, the Lord is willing, the Lord is able to help His people to live in the way that He has called us to live. It's sobering, actually, to think how impoverished we might be in our spiritual lives, in our Christian discipleship, in our Christian maturity, simply because we are failing to ask the Lord for His help to live His way. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? So much of our praying is taken up with praying for specific practical needs, financial needs, uh, health needs, uh, needs for people in relational or employment difficulty, other concerns for friends and family, ministry needs and priorities, and all the rest. But how much do we prioritize asking the Lord to help us to live His way with the strength that only His Spirit can give? If we're believers who long to grow, and I hope we're longing to grow, if we're longing to become more Christ-like, and I hope we're longing to become more Christ-like, if we're longing to have victory in the battle with sin, and I hope we're longing for that, are we asking the Lord that He might help us day by day to be the people He's called us to be? But here is the wonderful promise of Jesus. If we ask, He will help us. After all, verse 9, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to those who ask him. We had a little community kind of festival in our neighborhood yesterday, and while we were out on the main street, I struck up a conversation with a man I'd never met before. I didn't know him, but we quickly got talking about children and education and things, and this man just shared with me a little bit of what he's doing to secure the very best educational and extracurricular opportunities for his children. What he was doing for his kids was costly, stunningly costly. And he was having to make some significant adjustments and, I guess, sacrifices to do it. But he was telling me it was a sensible investment. He didn't mind one bit. For his kids, it was nothing. No sense of bitterness. No sense of regret. I had no sense that this man was a believer. I mean, he might have been, but I didn't, I didn't get that from him. And yet he knew something about giving good gifts 
to his children. And fathers know about that. It comes naturally to parents. It's not something we particularly have to learn. Whether we are Christian believers or outright pagans, we know about giving good gifts to our children. And Jesus says to all of us, though you are evil in your natural state, apart from the Lord's grace, our hearts are all evil. Despite our sinful hearts, we human fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, and we'd never do anything but that. But God is our loving Father. He is good, and He is not evil. And He, like any father, and more than any father, longs to give good gifts to His children. And He is able to do so perfectly, and flawlessly, and wisely, and wonderfully. And so, if we ask for His help by His Spirit to do what He has called us to do, and to be the people He has called us to be, He's going to give us all the help we need. I find it very interesting that this thought and this little section concludes with verse 12. This verse, the golden rule, is perhaps the most famous verse in all of Scripture. And here it is, tacked on to what appears to be another subject, another conversation. As, but as so often happens, as we so often find with the teaching of Jesus, there is an integral connection, section by section, paragraph by paragraph. There is a logical link. There's a little linking word here, actually, at the start of verse 12, and I think it's very intentional. Because God is going to give you all the help that you need to live His way, so in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. What's the link? What's the logic? God promises to give you all the help you ask for to be His people and to live His way. So now you are free and you are empowered to do all that He has called you to do through the Sermon on the Mount, to love and, and not hate your enemies, to be faithful to your spouse, to speak the truth, to turn from worry, to be generous with your money, to speak without hypocrisy essentially to do to others as you would have them do to you. And of course, Jesus says that sums up the requirements of God's Word perfectly. Do that, says Jesus, because God is going to give you by His Spirit all the help you need. Do that because now you have no excuse not to. Do that because by the help of the Spirit of God, you actually can do it in increasing degree. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. A message is called Speaking Wisely. If you ever miss a broadcast or you just want to go back and listen to a program again, you can always do that by coming to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. You know, this radio program is not only on this station, but we also make it available online and through the Encounter the Truth app. But all we do is made possible through your generosity. So thank you for giving to and supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a couple of copies of Jonathan's book. It's called Light of the World. And Jonathan, that's kind of an intriguing title. What do you mean by this? Well, Jesus speaks of himself as being the light of the world. And it's such an intriguing idea that the Lord Jesus Christ himself brings light into a place of darkness. 
But, you know, when we consider it, I think we understand exactly what he means. This this world can be a very, very dark place. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of sadness in this world. But the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to bring hope and to bring truth and to give us the opportunity to know the God who made us and to open the way to us to life eternal. He is the light that came down into the darkness. And in this brief book, I simply want to explain what it means for the Lord Jesus to be light. I hope that'll be an encouragement to those who already know him and are rejoicing in his coming this Christmas. But I also really hope, and I do pray, that there will be those who read this book who don't yet know the Lord Jesus and haven't, as it were, received the light of his coming in their own life. And I'd love for you to read this book if that's your situation, if that's who you are, and discover what it means for the Lord Jesus to be the light of the world. Well, we want to send you not one, but two copies of Jonathan's book, Light of the World, as our way of saying thank you for your financial support. One for you, one for you to give away. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org and our phone number is 833-998-7884. For producer Mark Rutta and our Bible teacher Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening and I hope you'll join us next time.